Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy you are here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about all things to do with motherhood and parenting and explore the joys and the challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to inspire us all on our parenting adventures and to support parents to raise their children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome to this new episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I was so happy that Alfie Cohen was able to give me half an hour of his time so generously to share with us his considerable knowledge and understanding of the effects of punishments and rewards on our families. And so I bring you this two-part episode today. The first is listening to Mr. Cohen talking about his understanding of these things. And the second part of the episode will be me sharing the aware parenting perspective and what we can do instead if we are choosing not to use punishments, rewards, threats, or bribes in our family. So I go through lots of different techniques that you can use in your families to support our children's behavior in a way that feels much more connected, loving, and aware. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Aware Parenting Stories. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Mr. Alfie Cohen. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. Um, Alfie Cohen is an author and a speaker who specializes in human behavior, education, and parenting. He's the author of many books and hundreds of articles and lectures uh, at universities and education conferences, as well as to parent groups and corporations. So thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm most grateful for you joining us today. I read your books, uh, Punished by Rewards and then Unconditional Parenting, many years ago, and I found your work so inspiring and thought-provoking. And your books look at much of conventional wisdom, in in inverted commas, um, about how people should be raising their children, particularly the sort of short-term carrot-and-stick approaches to parenting. And you you challenge many of the assumptions that underlie these uh, mainstream approaches. And I wonder if I could start off by asking you, how did you come to make that mental shift to see things so differently? The research overwhelmingly challenges the things that we've been raised to accept and take for granted. And whenever I see good theory and evidence pointing in one direction and common practice heading off in another, it makes me want to write another book. So it turns out that good research shows that doing things to children is never as successful, not to mention respectful, as working with them. Mm. And in particular, the two ways that we do to them are some variant of punishments and rewards. In the case of punishments, we say to kids, in effect, do this or here's what I'm going to do to you. That is, make you suffer deliberately to change what you're doing. And in rewards, we say to kids, do this and you'll get that. Um, and the carrot and the stick, so to speak, are not opposites. They're two sides of the same coin. And the only thing either of those can ever get you is temporary compliance at an enormous cost. And if you want, we can talk more about why that's true in the 
in each case or move on to the topic of unconditionality as you prefer. Yeah, let's talk about punishments and rewards. That's great. You talk about the fact that there's a really strong belief amongst many parents that, yeah, as you say, unless we punish our children, they won't learn how to behave properly or appropriately. And that if we want our children to yep. respect us, then we need to um, d- demand their respect. <laughs> What's your view then on, on this? It's obviously very different about how punishments aren't very effective at all. Well, first of all, the last statement about demanding their respect, not only is not not only is untrue, but it's exactly the opposite of what's true. You respect is something you can't demand or coerce into being. Um, and it, in fact, children tend to respect even less and are less likely to be uh, persuaded by and want to spend time with people who demand their obedience. Um, and I think that. That comes from confusing respect with simple fear. Um, when you punish or threaten to punish a child, and it doesn't matter what the punishment is, by the way, it can be uh, physical violence like spanking, which mostly teaches children that that's how you solve problems in life, is you know hurting people who are weaker than you are. That's the main message of every spanking. But even non-physical punishments like taking away uh, privileges or or speaking harshly to kids or uh, doing other things, uh, forcibly isolating them when they need us most, which we euphemistically call time out. All of these things are basically an imposition of power, and they lead kids to think, all right, what does this person with more power want me to do, and what happens to me if I don't do it? So the effect of any kind of punishment, even if we call it consequences, because that word lets us feel better about making kids feel bad, um, the, the effects are first to strain our relationship with, with our kids, because now they're about as happy to see us coming when something's wrong as you or I would be to see a police car in our rearview mirrors. We're not caring allies. We're enforcers to be avoided. The second thing that it does is make kids angry and frustrated, just the same way we would be if we were compelled to do something that we really don't want to do and are powerless to do anything about it. Um, And another thing it does is make kids more focused on self-interest. If you say to kids, all right, don't let me catch you doing that again, the kid will think, okay, (laughs) next time you won't catch me. You haven't, no punishment has ever helped a child to become a more moral person. Only one who learns to please the person with the power if they're in danger of suffering from it. So research demonstrates clearly that when kids are punished in any way, they primarily become less interested in less focused on the impact of their actions on other people. Because now the point is not to avoid hurting somebody else. It's to escape detection Mm -hmm. so that they can avoid the punishment themselves. So the complete abolition of anything that looks like a punitive consequence is a necessary, though not sufficient, condition of helping to promote children's moral development. Also, in the long run, it doesn't work very well. 
I mean, if I threaten you enough, you know, if I if I threaten to to hit you right now, if I were in the room with you, or or to do something else terrible that you didn't like, unless you took off your shoes, I could make you take off your shoes. But it doesn't help you develop a commitment to an action. And in fact, kids who are punished at home are more likely to be aggressive and obnoxious when they're outside the home. Yeah. So it actually is not just ineffective, it's counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading in one of your books a long time ago, you writing, what do you want your child to do? And what do you want their reason to be for doing it? And I think our language is so interesting that it talks about, it dresses up this this whole issue by using words like listening when we really mean obey and respect when we really mean fearful compliance or, you know, consequences when we really mean bullying. And that's right. Yes, absolutely right. And um, the reason for doing it, that second part uh, that you mentioned is is critical. One of the reasons that the whole traditional approach approach to parenting is so counterproductive. And by the way, one of the diagnostics, one of the ways we can tell if we're unfortunately in that heading in that direction is the focus on behavior, which is just the action that you can see and measure. In fact, I have this sort of rule of thumb that the value of a parenting resource, like a book or an article or a podcast or something, the value of a parenting resource is inversely related to the number of times that it contains the word behavior. Because when you're focusing on children's behavior, you're ignoring the reasons and the values and the motives that underlie and inform the behavior. In fact, you're ignoring the child who engages in the behavior and her experience. And so the more you think in terms of behavior, the more likely you are to resort to some version of bribes and threats to change the behavior, but you never help your child become a happy, ethical, caring, compassionate, independent person. And I should add Everything that I just said about punishment or consequences is just as true of its mirror image rewards. When you say to kids, do this and you'll get that, the question they come to ask then is, oh, what do they want me to do, these people with the power, and what do I get for doing it? Again, what you're doing is you're, you're manipulating the child to obey. And again, you're making the child focused entirely on self-interest. So, for example, research has consistently shown that children who are rewarded or praised by their parents a lot, and remember, praise is just a verbal doggy biscuit when the child pleases us by jumping through our hoops. When kids are often rewarded and praised, they become more self-centered. And that makes perfect sense when you think about it. And the effect is most pronounced if you reward or praise kids for being generous. Because then you've taught them the reason to share your toys, you know, or to do something nice for somebody isn't because of the effect it has on that person. It's because of what you might get for it. So if you say to kids, good job, I really like the way you shared some of your brownie with with Diane. You're such a generous person. That child just became a little more selfish because of what you did. So it's not about moving from punishments to rewards. It's not about moving from tangible rewards, like 
desserts, you know, or stickers and gold stars to good jobs. It's about taking that whole bucket of of doing two manipulative devices to change kids' behavior and moving past that to something very different. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I think parents often find it much more difficult to grasp the negative effect of using rewards and praise because that's seen as as such a positive thing, as positive reinforcement. But I really appreciate how you explain that, you know, regardless of whether it's by punishment or by praise and rewards, it's still manipulating and controlling our children. Yes. And you're right. It is harder for people to get that, especially if they've been told you know, don't don't use sticks, use carrots. Try to catch kids doing something right. Um, but it's just, as two researchers put it, it's just control through seduction. But it's yeah. still control. It's still doing too, not working with. Yeah. And that and that I mean that's what led me to write that er, that that book you mentioned, Punished by Rewards, is because it does seem counterintuitive to a lot of people. And the research had been collecting for a long time, showing that rewards like punishments are not just ineffective, but counterproductive. But meanwhile, you know, we continue with this pop behaviorism, as I call it, in the culture of advice for parents, and by the way, for teachers and for managers. Yeah, I mean, I have two chapters in that book, as you saw, that are about why incentive plans you know, pay for performance schemes, bonuses, and the like in the workplace also backfire repeatedly. Yeah. It's all about power. That's the one thing I've learned over the decades I've spent on the, the, these topics is rewards, just like punishments, are about what managers do to employees, what teachers do to students, what parents do to kids to make them comply with whatever the powerful person wanted. And doing it with a good job, I like when you, is really no different than a threat when the person fails to jump through your hoops. It makes such sense. Could you talk a little bit about intrinsic motivation? That's something that is obviously part of this picture too. Yes. Um, part of the reason, I mean, there. one obvious question is if rewards are as counterproductive as the research shows, then why do we still use them? And one answer to that question is, we didn't know they were bad. We never saw the research. Nobody invited us to think about it this way. A second possible answer is because the people in power like to stay in power, and it's fundamentally threatening to them to have to question this. Um, And you get to sort of think you have the best of both worlds, where you stay in control of your kid and get them to obey you, but you get to do it nicely, and there's nothing objectionable about doing it with a good job or a sticker. Um, And so you continue to do it. A third reason maybe is there's, you don't know what else to do. Another reason is that it's expected, not only accepted in our culture, but one reason is because of our misunderstanding of the nature of motivation. We talk about Wanting, how am I supposed to motivate my kid to do X if I can't use rewards and punishments? Um, and to summarize an awful lot of research in a couple of sentences, psychologists have basically said to us that there are different kinds of motivation, and the kind matters more than the amount. And typically, psychologists distinguish between intrinsic motivation which basically means you do something because you find it worthwhile, valuable in its own right, 
and extrinsic motivation, which means you do something in order that something else outside the task, extrinsic to the task, will happen, like you'll get a reward for doing it or avoid a punishment. So it's not just that intrinsic and extrinsic are different, and it's not even just that intrinsic is better and more powerful in the long run, which it is. It's that intrinsic motivation, the desire to do something, is undermined when you are given extrinsic motivators. Mm-hmm. Or to put it the other way around, rewards tend to kill interest in the thing you were rewarded for doing. And so just as the research shows that children become more selfish and self-centered when they're praised or rewarded for helping, research also finds that the best way to kill a kid's interest in reading, for example, is to give them a prize for reading a book. That incentive plans that lead employees to, to think more about the bonus they'll get for doing X tends to make them less excited about their work. And in schools, any kind of grade or mark or other reward for learning is poison to curiosity and the desire to learn. So whatever, it doesn't matter, the the research cuts across ages, genders, cultures, tasks. It consistently shows that what we really want is intrinsic motivation, first, because that makes life a lot happier and more pleasant to enjoy what you're doing. But second, because intrinsic motivation is the most powerful contributor to excellence at whatever it is you do. So actually, research also finds that if you took 100 people and gave them all a puzzle to solve, and half of them were just asked to solve it, and the other half were told, here's the reward you'll get for doing it, or as it turns out, even worse, the reward you'll get for successfully doing it, the half of the people who were rewarded for it will end up doing an inferior job being less likely to solve the puzzle successfully. Rewards kill excellence just as they kill interest, and partly because they kill interest. So in short, I don't care how motivated our kids are. I care how our kids are motivated. And if we're, if we're trying to motivate them, which means goad them, prod them, induce them with some kind of goodie, that will be not only less successful than helping them cultivate an intrinsic desire to do it, it will extinguish that intrinsic desire to do it. Mm. It's so interesting to hear that as well as their desire to do a task, it will also reduce their excellence, their achievement, their ability at, at doing a task. And mm-hmm. It's so, so powerful then, isn't it? Can I ask you then about the need to offer our children unconditional love? Um, why, why do you say that this is so important and how, how can we ensure that our kids actually feel this from us? Because it's one thing for us to say, oh, yeah, I love my child. Of course I do. But how do we get them to right. actually feel that it's, it's unconditional? Yes. Well, you know, after I had written Punished by Rewards and saw all this research on motivation and why rewards were bad, including verbal rewards, I then came to realize that the situation was even worse than I thought. Mm. Rewards, like praise, are destructive not only because they are extrinsic inducements that kill intrinsic motivation, but also because they communicate conditional acceptance, which means that kids get the message that they're loved not for who they are, 
but for what they do, and thus only for as long as they keep doing it. Rewards become, in effect, a way of communicating acknowledgement, attention, approval, with strings attached, that is to say, with certain conditions. And what we know from, from developmental psychology is that kids don't just need to be loved by us. They need to be loved by us for no damn good reason. Not even when, maybe even especially when, they screw up mm. or fall short. And virtually all traditional parenting advice is actually a form of conditional acceptance. Like, like when you're, you're told to a time out for a kid where you literally and figuratively exile your child when he doesn't please you, mostly communicates, you know, that, that mommy's love has gone away. And for it to come back, you had better do whatever she wants. And when parents say, as you hinted in your question, you know, of course I love my child unconditionally, which most parents do say, that doesn't matter. What matters is how the child experiences what we say and do. And if you are praising children when they please you, they learn they have to please you to get that smile, that hug, that fist bump, that, that attention. And maybe they do it by being well-behaved and not embarrassing you in public, or maybe to get that reaction from you, they have to bring home a good report card from school, or they have to bring home a trophy from sports, or they have to be funny or pretty or, or smart. It doesn't matter what the condition is. It matters that we are sometimes unconsciously placing conditions on what kids do. So to answer your, your latter question, there isn't a simple single answer to what can we do to make sure kids know that we love them unconditionally. First, we have to make sure that that's really true, that in fact, we don't feel a, a, a wave of fondness and care for children only under certain conditions. And second, we have to stop doing the things that clearly communicate the opposite of that, like any like time out or, or the mirror image praise, which communicates conditions. And we have to think about our tone of voice, you know, and our, our body language, our facial expression, as well as the content of what we say. Um, and imaginatively put ourselves in the child's point of, point of view. Would a child reasonably conclude that they, they're loved a lot more when they meet these criteria? If so, uh-oh, it's time to rethink what we're doing and make sure that kids know that, that we're proud of them and we love them and care about them uh, without any strings attached. Yep. And yeah, I suppose it's also about yeah, making our children know that you know, that we love them when they make yeah when they make mistakes or when they behave in ways that we find really challenging or when they yeah you know, when they're mm-hmm. when they fall short of of what somebody's expectations might be of them or yeah it's whatever the circumstances however they're behaving that we still love them anyway. Right. And when there's a problem, we, think we don't see it as, as an infraction to be consequence or that we're going to turn away from them. 
even figuratively, but rather a problem to be solved, an yeah. opportunity for, for, for teaching. And, and one of the ways that we work with kids affirmatively rather than just avoiding uh, conditional parenting, avoiding punishments and rewards, one thing that we can do positively speaking, is to give kids a lot more say over what happens in their lives. Kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. And, and punishments and rewards are basically all about getting kids to follow directions. So it's not just, a, and this is where it gets kind of hairy and it becomes more, more of a reach for a lot of us on a day-to-day -day basis, as I know as a parent myself is that it's not just about finding a new script. It's not just about a, a practical strategy. What do I do when my kid does X? It's about also questioning ourselves about our goals. Because as long as the goal is to get your kid to do whatever you say, it almost doesn't matter so much which strategy you use. It's almost invariably going to be something manipulative. Um, it's really about questioning the way we have elevated the idea of compliance above all other goals, which is why when I work with a bunch of parents in a workshop or a lecture, I almost always start by asking, what are your long-term goals for your child? How do you hope he or she turns out years from now? Think of a word or a phrase that pops into your mind that captures for you an overriding sense of what you hope your kid will, will be like. And everywhere I go around the world, I get the same kind of answers, which I rattled off a few minutes ago. Yeah. I want my kid to be, to be happy, to be a moral person, to be a caring person who's concerned about others' well-being, who's independent, self-reliant, curious, critical thinkers, creative. This is what people say. And so what I do for a living in my books and my presentations is to say, you know, you say you want this. So why are you doing that? Because here's the research showing that that makes it less likely that this will happen. Mm. The, the reason to stop using timeouts or spankings or gold stars or praise or other forms of conditional parenting isn't because I don't like them or you don't like them or they're not nice. It's because solid evidence demonstrates that these tactics make it less likely that your kid will turn out the way you just said you wanted her to in the long run. So it's about rethinking our long-term goals and then revisiting the sort of short-term goals that we use, which are more about compliance as well as the methods we use to get that. Mm. Yes. Indeed, about prioritizing our relationship with our child rather than their behavior. And um, yeah, as you say, it's all about the power, isn't it? It's about rethinking that. So instead of us trying to have power over our children and get them to do what we want them to do, it's about working together with our children to ensure our relationship is, is strong and deeply loving so that any challenges that we face in our parenting and our, and our lives we can make sure every, it, we come out of that situation with everybody feeling loved and and still connected and find uh -huh. um, find solutions that way oh it's so interesting um i'm aware of the time so i wonder if i might just quickly ask you about education 
because uh, and you've shared many um, strong criticisms of the public education system. And But I wonder if you might just in our last few moments elaborate a little bit on what you see as the main well, failings. Well, it's hard, hard to know where to start. <laughs> I, I should be clear that I am critical of a lot of what teachers and administrators do in public schools, private schools, and in homeschooling. Um, and I'm a strong supporter of the institution of public schooling, which I think is a cornerstone of a democratic society. I'm not trying to um, attack that institution itself. I'm trying to improve it. But the general concerns that I have discussed in a lot of articles of mine, which are all freely available on my website or in books like one I wrote a few years ago called The Schools Our Children Deserve, um, is not only to think about the problem with rewards and punishments, including grades, but also to think about intellectually what, what a vibrant learning environment looks like, how it's based on the questions um, that, a, that a child has about herself and the world, um, that it's based on deep understanding rather than merely memorizing facts to do well on exams, um, that it's collaborative because the best classrooms have kids in pairs and small groups learning from and with one another and challenging one another to think more deeply about questions that matter. Um, and so in different parts I, of different books and, and articles, I've talked about the different elements of this, why the best teachers never use tests, but use more authentic forms of assessment to see what's what's been learned and where there's still uh, room to grow, uh, to move away from homework, um, which amounts to a second shift for kids once they've spent a full day in school, to think about project-based learning where the projects are designed by the kids that's interdisciplinary, um, starting with the problems and issues rather than segmenting math and distinguishing it from social studies and, and the like, and what it means to challenge kids to think more deeply about questions. Uh, so it's not just a bunch of facts that mm -hmm. they're absorbing or, or separate skills. So each one of those phrases that I just used, you know, could be a, a half hour conversation. But a lot of it, again, starts with what our goals are, um, intellectually speaking for kids. Uh, and a lot of a lot of education that's done by homeschoolers, private schools, and public schools alike is really just about discrete bunches of knowledge and and uh, and skills. It's all academic. It's not sufficiently intellectual. Mm -hmm. And there's ways that an education can be intellectual even for a four-year-old uh, if if one is doing it right and helping kids to really understand ideas from the inside out. And a lot of it has to do with supporting their curiosity, which is a different way of saying their intrinsic motivation. Mm. Anything that schools or homeschooling parents do that leads kids to be too focused on how well they're doing with academic skills tends to get in the way of their engagement with what they're doing, which is to say the learning itself. Yeah. And coming back to what you said before as well, if it's removing their desire and in their intrinsic motivation, then it's also um, affecting how well that they're able to do the tasks or to, to learn the things or to explore the topics as well. So, yeah, it comes exactly. back to that again. Mm, that's right. very interesting. 
Thank you so much for answering those questions and for coming on um, and agreeing to to be interviewed today. It's really helpful. Could you end off by just saying a little bit about how people can um, find out more about you and your websites and, and how you work with parents and so on? Uh, yeah, thank you for the question. It's just about everything is on my website, and my website is just my name, yeah. Alfie Cohn, which is A-L-F-I-E-K-O-H-N dot org dot O-R-G. Yeah. And that has information about all my books. It has hundreds of articles that are freely available. It has basic info about the kinds of topics I speak about in in lectures, and in fact, spoke about when I was when I visited uh, Australia a few years ago, and also uh, about two uh, uh, videos that I did, one about schooling and one about parenting. Great. I'll make sure I put that link in the show description. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really, really grateful. You bet. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. So the second part of this episode on parenting without punishments and rewards, I'm just going to talk through the aware parenting perspective and give you some ideas about how you might do this differently. And one of the important things about parenting this way is that it's not easy to do. So people often ask, well, that's great. I understand why not to do punishments and rewards, but what should I do instead? So that's what I'm going to be talking about now. And I want to start by just inviting you to offer yourselves a lot of compassion and kindness to yourself if you have used punishments with your children in the past. I think there are times when most of us out of desperation resort to some kind of threat or bribe or reward or encouragement, so you're really not alone. And as always with aware parenting, getting lots of support for ourselves and getting the opportunity to express when we have feelings about things is really, really crucial. And this is a big shift. I mean, most of us were raised in this way, in this behaviorist paradigm where in order to get us to behave in the way that our parents wanted us to, we were punished or bribed or threatened or rewarded in some way. And it's really a very, very pervasive approach that runs through all of our culture. So, and in addition, there's also, there's lots of loud voices in the parenting realm now that are encouraging these types of approaches in order to get your child to behave. So it's hard to see things differently and to shift away from this approach. I think it's really helpful to start off by exploring for ourselves, you know, what is it that you want for your child and for your relationship with your child? How do you want your child to grow up? What kind of teenager would you like them to be? What kind of adult are you hoping that they're going to to be. So you're exploring things like, you know, what, what do you want your child to do in this moment? And what do you want their reason to be for doing it? And if if the reason is is fear or compliance or worry that somehow they won't be loved by you anymore unless they do what it is that you're asking them to do, then you can see how damaging that can be for your relationship. And so what we're really looking for is ways that we can support our children to be their naturally cooperative selves and to recognize that when they're not behaving in a way that we're finding enjoyable, we need to look behind that to see why, rather than to bring in these temporary short-term processes to 
force them to be compliant with what we're doing, but at a huge cost to our relationship longer term. The other thing that's helpful to think about is, you know, what do you want your children to feel about how you feel about them? Do you want your child to feel unconditionally loved, that no matter how they're behaving, you will love them anyway, that anytime they make a mistake, that's okay, we will support them to make things right, but we will love them fiercely, regardless of how they're behaving? Do you want them as teenagers to learn that it's okay for them to call you in the middle of the night if they've done something stupid and are in danger and need you by their side? So, yeah, it's about choosing whether we're going to respond to our children in a way that make them think that they're only really lovable when they're being good or whether we respond to them in a way that makes them feel that however they're behaving, they are loved by us. You know, do we want them to think that they're only lovable if they're achieving wonderful things and doing well in exams or doing fabulous things on the sports field? Or do we want them to feel that they're fully loved by us, regardless of of whether they're achieving what we have expectations of for them? Do we want them to think that if they learn this thing, for example, then that their parents will, will love them? Or do we want them to be intrinsically motivated to be learning and exploring the things that they are really most interested in and most passionate about just for the desire of the thing itself rather than out of any desire to please us? And yeah, do we want our relationships to be close and honest and connected and safe? Or do we want our children to learn that They have to lie and sneak and focus on not getting caught because otherwise there will be disconnection and and rupture between us and them. So really, if we want our children to grow up, to be free, to be themselves, to be deeply connected to their authentic selves and to know that whatever they are, however they're behaving and whatever they're doing, it's enough and they're still loved by us then we really do need to make this shift. And if we are treating our children in these ways and subjecting them to punishments and rewards, then we are also teaching our children that it's okay to bully other people, that it's okay to try to manipulate and control how others behave by making them feel frightened of us. And that it's it's fine for us to expect people to deny their feelings and needs if they're getting something good out of it. And it really does break our trust and break their sense of trust in us. So an aware parenting approach, on the other hand, deals with these underlying causes of our children's off-track behavior. And it's not instead just putting in this harsh temporary band-aid that can really get in the way of our relationship and and only is going to encourage temporary compliance. Yes, with aware parenting, instead looking at things like discipline, it's looking through a very compassionate lens. It's looking at having power with our children rather than having power over them. So sometimes parents are concerned that unless we teach our children how to behave properly or force our children to treat us with respect, then they won't learn what's right from wrong or they won't have any respect for authority. But in fact, exactly the opposite is true. When we model respect and kindness. That is how our children learn to be respectful and kind. And it's it's not possible to, to force our children to be respectful. We can only encourage it by treating them respectfully. The key understanding of aware parenting is that our children are by nature cooperative, loving, kind, and beautiful humans. So we see the goodness in them. 
And we understand that when they're behaving in ways that we find really challenging, it is a sign that they have got something underneath that behavior that is getting in the way of them being their true, loving, cooperative and connected selves. And so what we're trying to do in aware parenting is is always look under the behavior and identify what's going on and then find ways to deal with that rather than powering over and bullying and and forcing our children to behave in the ways that we find enjoyable. We recognize with aware parenting that our children don't need to be taught how to behave and certainly not by us withdrawing our love or isolating them or hurting them or somehow making their life worse. And in fact, one of the really helpful things to remember is that it's when our children seem to deserve our love the least. It's when they really need our love the most. And that was something that I found really helpful to remember, particularly in the early days. So the other thing that I think is really helpful at the beginning of this process is for us to be getting lots of listening and support ourselves. As always with aware parenting, it so often comes back to us getting our listening, us getting to share our beliefs and our feelings and thoughts about things and us exploring what our needs are in the moment. And through this, we get real clarity about how we want our relationship to be with our child, what our children might be experiencing at times when they're behaving in a way that's challenging, and what is real and true for us and what is our old patterns coming out when we're responding to our children in ways that we don't enjoy. So exploring these things with listening partners, exploring these things in sessions with a web parenting instructor or with a therapist, or exploring these things in a journal or a combination of all of those things is really, really helpful. And it's really so much easier to respond to our children by being the parent that we really want to be when we are getting support ourselves. In fact, it's not possible to be the parent we want to be unless we're getting the support and the listening and the exploration ourselves. So that's always where I recommend people start getting some support. And if there's something going on with your child that's really challenging, getting the opportunity to share that with somebody else will will really shift things for you. So in the moment, I always recommend that we see our children's behavior as a red flag, a sign that they're letting us know that they've got lots of feelings or that they are needing something from us rather than them being deliberately annoying or pushing our buttons or somehow manipulating us deliberately. It's much easier to be compassionate and to approach them with kindness when they are behaving in this way, if that is how we are responding to them, if we're seeing it not as a deliberate attempt to make our day harder, but rather as a sign that they're really in pain and they're having a hard time. Once we've got clear about that, it's much easier to then approach them and to move in to see if we can explore what's going on for them. And there's a beautiful list of three things that Aletha Salter, the founder of Aware Parenting, recognizes are underlying our children's behavior that is challenging for us. The first is is information and, and their thoughts and what they're understanding about what's going on. The second is their needs and perhaps there's some unmet needs in that moment. And the third is that they've got some feelings underneath that are coming up and bubbling and making it difficult for them to behave in a way that is their natural, loving, cooperative selves. So the best thing to do is to move in and to start exploring what we think might be going on. So in the case of information, perhaps our children aren't understanding what's going on in the moment. Perhaps they're not clear. Perhaps perhaps they're not clear about what's going on in the moment and they need some help to get clear. 
So in that case, we would move in and we would give them some information about what's going on. And we might say, for example, if they are unwilling to get up and get ready to get out of the door in the morning when we all need to go out and leave the house, we might need to explain to them, perhaps even the night before, to say this is what the plan is for tomorrow and this is why we need to leave. And what we find is that if the reason for their behaviour being off track is that they don't have the information that they need, then by giving them the information, we will see a change in their behavior and they will be more cooperative and they will be considerate and loving. If, however, giving them the information doesn't change their behavior, doesn't alter how they're behaving, then it's obviously not that. So at that point, we can stop giving them information and move into one of the other things that we're exploring in their behavior. So the second thing is looking for unmet needs. So perhaps there's something going on there that they need more of that they're not currently getting. Perhaps they need connection. That's often a cause of children's behavior being a bit off track and them feeling out of balance. Perhaps we are standing in the kitchen going, come on, you've got to put your shoes on so that we can get out of the house and screaming instructions down the hallway at them. And actually, if instead we recognize that maybe they, they're needing some connection in the moment and we go into their room and we get down to their level and we see what they're doing. Oh, sweetheart, I love what you're doing with that Lego. That's amazing what you've made. How beautiful. And then we get eye contact and we're down right close and connected to them. Perhaps we might even just touch them and we might give them a kiss or something. And we might say, sweetheart, we need to go out this morning. And so I really need you to put your shoes on. Are you able to do that now so that we can get out the door? I'm really looking forward to coming back and playing with you later and exploring more of what you're doing with your Lego. So that might be an example of meeting their needs. So their need would be a need for connection. And so, yes, in terms of us not screaming at them across the house, but instead getting close in and really connecting with them in a calm and loving way can meet those needs. The third thing in this picture is feelings. And often that is the cause of our children's behavior. That is by far the most frequent one in my experience. And if our children have got some accumulated feelings and they're feeling stressed and tense and unhappy, then that is going to make it much more difficult for them to be relaxed and calm and cooperative in their bodies. And so in those moments, it's really important for us to listen to feelings both in the moment and also generally when they're showing us signs that they're having feelings that they need to share and also moving in with some play. So that again is sometimes in the moment we might be playful and connect with them and, and be encourage them to join us in some playful. So should we go to the car today, like running or should I give you a piggyback or how should we get there? Or it could be more generally offering them special time, non-directed child-centered play, where we are offering them our undivided attention and giving them lots of playfulness. Or it could be playing power reversal games if we know that they're going to have to come around with us for the day, doing lots of jobs that we need to do. We might also make time for some power reversal play where they get to be the one in charge and they get to be the powerful one, the strong one, the fast one, and we're the silly one who's the less powerful in that less powerful role. Both of those things are really helpful to allow our children to express what's going on for them and to release and, and heal from those feelings. And that allows them to come back into balance, back into feeling calm and cooperative and loving and themselves. Another thing that we can do that's really helpful in these moments is to bring in the loving limit. Um, this is a term coined by Marion Rose. And it is a way of saying a no to the behavior and a yes to the feelings underneath. So in that 
case where our child's in their room and they're reluctant to come out and, and get on with the day and do all the things that we want them to do, we might move in and say, sweetheart, I know you really want to stay and play with Lego today, but we really have to go and it, we, we're running late for the appointment, so we need to leave now. I'm here. I'm right here and I'm listening. And one of the things we can do with loving limits that can be really helpful is we can go in in advance if we can see that our children are having some feelings and we can perhaps try to leave half an hour before we actually have to leave so that we can spend that half an hour listening to them and letting them get it all off their chest. And that's a really amazing investment of our time that allows us to connect to get our children healing and expressing their feelings and lots of listening. And then at the end of that process, we'll find that they're much more likely to be able and willing to cooperate. So we say, sweetheart, I'm not willing for you to play with your Lego now. It's time for us to go. And I'm right here. I know you want to stay, but we need to leave now. And that then we we just stay and we listen. Um, We don't even really need to say very much, but we're just there. We're shining our presence and our love onto them while they express how unfair it is. They might be saying, oh, you're the worst mommy in the world. I hate you. I don't want to go out today. I know, sweetheart. I know you really just want to stay here and play, but we have to go today. So we're leaving now. Um, All of these things are really helpful for them to be getting feelings out. Another thing that we can do um, with our children, and again, it depends on the age of the child, but it's it's helpful with children at, at all ages, is to have lots of conversations with them, especially after times of connection where we explain. And sometimes it might even be that we are saying to them, we're not going to have punishments and rewards or um, bribes or threats in our family anymore. We're really going to try and do things differently because we want you to feel that we always love you no matter how you're behaving. And we know that when you're behaving in a way that's difficult, it's because you're feeling bad. So we're going to really try not to have these things and we're going to try and do it differently. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong and sometimes we're going to get it right. But this is how we want things to be for you. Process is our children then increasingly get the clarity and the strength to be able to let us know when we're going off track. So they might say, I've oftentimes resorted to punishments and threats and rewards and um, bribes to my children. And they'll say, "Uh, mom, we don't actually have punishments in our family, remember? Um, And so that can be another really helpful way to keep us on track with it all. We encourage them to speak up. And of course, that's modeling to them that when things happen in, in their life outside of our family, they have the power to be able to stand up and say, no, this isn't how I want it to be. And I'm not willing. I'm not willing for that, which is which is wonderful. So the results of aware parenting and responding to our children's challenging behavior in these ways, not having punishments and rewards in the family, is that our children really do grow up knowing that they are worthy of our love no matter how they're behaving. And they learn that they can trust us to support them when things are tough And they know that we are a safe place to share however they're feeling. And they know that we are their ally. They learn that making mistakes and messing up is okay and that they don't have to be perfect in order to be lovable. And they learn how to meet their needs and how to express how they're feeling when things feel really challenging. And when they're treated with respect, they learn how to be respectful. So it's pretty clear that (laughs) punishments and rewards don't work don't work in the long term and don't work if we want to have good relationships with our children and we want our children to grow up feeling essentially that they are worthy of love. And it's not easy at the same time, even though 
on the one hand, it's simple. It's it's really not an easy thing to do. And our unexpressed hurts and pain about discipline from our childhood often get in the way of how we respond to our children. So as I said, this is another really important reason why getting support and listening for ourselves and our worries makes it so much easier to not react to our children in those ways and instead to respond to them. And, you know, spending lots of time together laughing and playing with our children, prioritizing our relationship with them and choosing to parent with a compassionate connection and, and listening means that our children's behavior is much less likely to be challenging anyway. They're much more likely to be cooperative and, and we are not going to need to resort to having punishments and power over them. And that when their behavior is off track, we do know how to support them back to balance more and more and back to being their natural, cooperative, loving selves. I'm just going to finish by talking through an article that I would really recommend for people to read that Aletha Salter has on her website, awareparenting.com. And she has an article called 20 Alternatives to Punishment. And that goes through much of what I've been talking about today, about looking for underlying needs, giving example and information and reasons for our children, looking for underlying feelings and acknowledging and accepting our children, expressing those feelings. Sometimes she recommends things like changing the environment. So if our children are repeatedly doing something that we don't want to do, we could perhaps make it harder for them to do it as well. So for example, if they're very little and they're playing with an electric socket and we don't want them to do that for obvious reasons, then maybe we can, as well as doing all those other things, we can put those special plugs in to, to keep them safe and, and stop them being able to access them. She talks about yeah, giving choices to our children rather than commanding them to do things so that they get the opportunity to make decisions and, and learn how to do that and to be empowered through that process. We allow natural consequences to occur when appropriate so we don't have to rescue them all the time. Uh, she gives an example of a child who doesn't hang up their bathing suit and towel may find that it's wet the next day. So, you know, that's the sort of natural consequence that she's talking about rather than consequences in, in a punishing type way. And she has other examples about diffusing the situation with laughter and using play and just checking for time to time about our expectations. Are our expectations really reasonable? And yes, again, she talks about time out is for parents and parents taking time out to, to, to move away if we find ourselves uh, responding through those old patterns and moving into the tendency to want to offer a punishment, just taking a moment to pause, to, to connect in with how we really want things to be, and then acting from that space. I would highly recommend reading her book, Cooperative and Connected, and also the book by Alfie Cohen, Punished by Rewards. I've put the links to those in the show description. All right, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode and you found it helpful. Please send me a message if there's anything about this topic that you would like more information about, or if there's any thoughts that you have that come up for you that you would like to share. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.